Jesus Christ, amen, for um, being with us this morning as we draw near to him in the word. We are in Mark, still in Mark. We've been in Mark for over a year now. We are in chapter 11 this morning, verse 27, uh, to chapter 12, verse um, 12. Mark chapter 11, verse 27, um, to chapter 12, verse 12. Let me take this time to welcome uh, visitors, any new visitors, those who uh, came in late, welcome. Uh, me welcome as well, uh, Mr. Mazibugo. And, and his wife, uh, welcome, uh, get to know them, get to know any new uh, visitors uh, in our midst as well, after church over tea and coffee. Um, we are in Mark chapter 11, as I said, the title this morning is The Lord of the Vineyard, The Lord of the Vineyard. Let's read from God's word, I'll read from the ESV, follow me as I read God's word. Mark chapter 11, verse 27 to chapter 12, verse 12. Starting with verse 27 of chapter 11. And they came to Jer- again to Jerusalem. And he, as he was walking in the temple, the chief priest and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from men? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now, chapter 12, and he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to the tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard and he took and they took uh, they took him and beat him and sent him away empty handed again he sent to them another seven and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully and he sent another and they uh, and him they killed and so with many others some they beat some they killed um, he has still one uh, uh, one other, a beloved son. Finally, he, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the, the, the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the the parable against them. So they left him and went away. I wonder if you remember when we um, 
spoke about the rich young man in chapter 10, verse 17 to 31. We spoke about the fact that the rich young man, when he left, thinking that he had saved his riches from this mad man who wanted him to sell everything, he thought that he had saved everything, but he did not realize what he lost. Remember that. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, as we go through your word this morning, we pray that you open our hearts and minds to an understanding of your truth. Convict us, O Lord, of the truth in your word. Draw us to yourself and transform us by it. Indeed, our cry, our prayer this morning is that you will show us Christ. In Jesus' presence we pray. Amen. Now, the events in our text take place on Tuesday of our Lord's Passion Week. Jesus is making his way toward Calvary. But before he arrives there, he must deal with the sinfulness of the nation of Israel. Just the day before these events, Jesus had gone into the temple and created quite a mess, remember? Jesus had cleansed the temple, casting out the people who were profaning the house of God by buying and selling in the cause. Yes, this is in chapter 11, verse 15 to 17. This event had caused the religious leaders who profited greatly from the business that was conducted in the temple to look for a way to destroy Jesus. This is uh, verse 18 of 11. Now Jesus is back in the temple and these men see their chance to discredit him. Apparently they have regained some of their composure and they approach Jesus in uh, chapter 11 verse 27 to 33 and they demand to know why he is doing the things he is doing. When you look at verse 27 to verse 28, they are literally asking him, who do you think you are? What right have you to come here and undo everything that we have done? It is clear uh, their attempt is to discredit Jesus in the eyes of the people of Israel. But Jesus is not about to be trapped by these uh, people. And he, he turns the tables on these men. He asks them a simple question concerning John the Baptist. So all they have to do is tell Jesus, what authority John operated under, and he will tell them by what authority he does what he does. This is verse 29 to verse 30. Jesus knew what authority um, John had operated under. It is the same authority that Jesus Christ was operating under. It is the power of God. But Jesus also knew that these men would never admit it. He knew their hearts. He knew their motives. These religious leaders clearly demonstrate their hypocrisy by seeking an answer that made them look good. They they wanted to save face before the people. If they said that John was sent from God, then Jesus would expose their hypocrisy because they had rejected the message and ministry of John. If they said that John was operating under his own power, they would lose face with the people because the majority of Israelites believed that John was a true prophet sent from God. Instead of taking a stand, this man choose to make an unanswer. In verse 33, upon hearing their answer, Jesus refused to answer them as well. 
in, in verse 33. Jesus could have allowed the matter to die right away. But he used the opportunity to expose the religious leaders for the hypocrites they were. In the parable that follows, Jesus not only exposes the sinfulness of the religious Jews, but he also exalts the majesty of the Almighty God. When you read um, the Bible, this is a free lesson on hermeneutics, on the science of interpretation. When you come across what we call a parable, you must ask yourself, what led to the parable being given? And you'll notice that the parable in chapter 12, verse 1 to 12, is because of what Jesus, uh, the, the, the conversation uh, between Jesus and this man in chapter 11, verse 27 to 33. And that's the, the, the focus of our attention this morning. Actually, the bulk of our attention will be in chapter 12, as we gave a summary of verse 27 to 31. Instead of focusing on the negative attitude of the Jews, uh, this morning what I want to concentrate on is on the ways God is revealed in this parable. I want to preach on the Lord of the vineyard. As I do, I want you to see three things about this Lord, three qualities of the Lord of the vineyard. I want you to see his goodness, his grace, and his glory. Goodness grace and glory as they are revealed in this parable. The main truth I want to drive home today is this. Those who reject the grace of God will eventually eventually face the wrath of God. Those who reject the grace of God will eventually face the wrath of God. With that in mind, Let's notice the ways the Lord of the vineyard is revealed in this vineyard, in, in this parable, shall we? Now we see in, in chapter 12 verse 1, the Lord of the vineyard and his goodness. We see his goodness. The goodness of the Lord. He began to speak to them, this is verse 1, in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the winepress and, and built a tower and leased it to the tenants and went into another country. Now, now verse, one, verse 1 describes a man who planted a vineyard. He built a fence around that vineyard to keep the wild animals out. He dug a, a pit to collect the juice that would be harvested from the grapes grown in the vineyard. He built a tower so that a watchman might keep a diligent eye on the vineyard so that it would be protected. He placed his vineyard in the hands of man assigned to farm it, then he left it in their care. Now in this parable, the Lord of the vineyard is God. The vineyard is Israel, represents Israel. The tenants are the Jewish religious leaders. The the servants are the prophets sent to Israel. The only son of the Lord of the vineyard is the Lord Jesus Christ. With this in mind, it is clear to see that verse 1 refers to the goodness of God toward Israel. The nation of Israel was often pictured as a vine. In, 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 in Isaiah, 50, Isaiah 5, verse 1 to 7, this is made abundantly clear. In fact, we need to get the surroundings in our minds so that we can understand the setting a little better here. Jesus is sharing the parable while standing in the court of the Gentiles. Remember we explained those different courts? 
the court of the Gentiles in, 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 in the temple area. There's the court of the Gentiles where Jews and Gentiles can come and worship God. And then there's the court of women where Jewish women can go and worship as well. Then there's the, 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 the court where it's just a Jewish men. Then there's the holy of holies and so on and so forth. Right? And so Jesus, when he's telling this parable, he's at the, the court of the Gentiles. Just over one shoulder is the Mount of Olives, with its side literally covered with grapevines. Over the other shoulder is a majestic temple built by King Herod. On the other, uh, on, on the door of that temple is, is carved a huge and magnificent grave, grapevine. That grapevine is embellished with the leaves of pure silver and gold. The, the grapes that are hung down are precious jewels. Often wealthy Jews would add another expensive leaf or another precious stone to that vine. That the Jewish leaders have no doubts about what the Lord is talking about in this parable. He is talking about the nation of Israel. They, they, they know that. God had tenderly raised up his vine in a land called Egypt. Then he had taken that vine and transported it across the bending sands of the, of, of the Sinai and he had planted it in Canaan. There it took root and there it flourished. God had given his vine a good land in which to grow. He had given it his word. He had given it his protection. By his, by, by God's own testimony, he had done everything he could have done to ensure the success of this vine called Israel. He went to, 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 to lengths to, to make sure that the vineyard was planted in the right soil. He, he made sure that the vineyard had enough nourishment for it to grow in a healthy way. Everything was done for it. But in Isaiah 5 verse 4a, when he talks about this vineyard, he says, what more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? In spite of God's goodness and love to Israel, she never returned that love to him. Now notice in Isaiah chapter 5 verse 4b as well, he says, when I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? Everything that was needed to be done for this vineyard was done. You couldn't blame the husband's man. You couldn't blame him. He had done everything necessary. You couldn't blame the soil. The soil was good. You couldn't blame the fact that it was not watered. It was watered. You couldn't blame the wild animals coming in. There was a hedge built around it to protect it against the wild animals. The problem was the vine itself. And God says, why am I coming to this vine and I'm finding, instead of finding grapes, I'm finding wild grapes. As we spoke about the, the fig tree, and I said, this is not about trees, remember? Still, God continued to care for his vine. 
to bless his vine, to protect his vine and to dress his vine. And in spite of their waywardness, Israel was forced to acknowledge the goodness of God. That they were forced to, 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 to say, as the psalmist says in chapter uh, 73 verse 1, truly God is good to Israel. You see, there is no question that every safe person in this room today would have to confess that God has been good to you. We are not Israel, obviously, but there, there was a day when he came to us in our Egypt. There was a day when he dug up, the, uh, he dug up by the roots and transplanted us in a new country and given us a new life. When we were dead in our sins and trespasses, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to give us life. He reconciled us to himself. When we were at enmity with God, we became children of God. We were crowned with a new name. We became saints. God has been good to us, hasn't he, brothers and sisters? Add to our salvation all the blessings he has given us. Add to that all the prayers he has answered. Add to that the fact that he is ever with us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. That he loves us eternally. That he meets our needs. And then 10,000 other truths that he continues to do. With that, with that, in light of that, we must confess that God is good to his people. Amen. God is truly good to his people. Isn't it also true that God is good to those who don't even know him? Consider this earth that he gives to all people to enjoy. Consider the food and water he gives to all people to nourish their bodies. Consider the air he gives all people to breathe. Consider the fact that he allows people who despise him, who reject him and hate him to keep living on the right side of the soil. Consider the fact that if you are not saved today, you are still not in hell. Consider these things and at least acknowledge that God is good to all people. God is good to all people. Since he is good, he deserves to be praised by all living creatures. Isn't that what the, the psalmist tells us as he closes and, 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 and concludes the, the psalm, the book of Psalms, in Psalm chapter 150, verse 6, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Brothers and sisters, there's a, there's a simple test to this. Put your hand next to your mouth and breathe. Do you have breath? The Bible calls you to praise the Lord. Orato mentioned in the Bible study that the dogs bark at you because they realize that you're not acknowledging the Lord with your life. You're not living to the glory of God. Among all the creatures in, in the world, God's creation, we are the peak of God's creation. We are his most marvelous creation. He has made the animals. He has made the stars. He has made the moon, the sun, the mountains, the, the ocean, and everything else. 
and, and they are all uh, living in a way, they are all acting in a way, they are all functioning in a way that brings the glory to God. Except for one creature. Except for one creature. The creature that was created as the apex of God's creation, the crown of God's creation, the only creature made in the image of this God lives in such a way in rebellion with God. The the only creature that can communicate with God lives in such a way as if God does not exist. What do you think about it, brothers and sisters? That's why dogs bark at you. Because they realize that during the whole week, you live in rebellion against your creator. That's why lions are caged. So that they don't devour you. Because you're not living according to the way your creator has called you to live. You treat the Lord as if he was some old man on, on, on a throne who's tired. For years he's been on the throne and he's just tired and he says, it's okay. I understand. He sweeps it under the rock. God is holy, brothers and sisters. We are called to live in holiness. You see, God is not calling us to something he has not enabled us for. We we are like that vineyard. God has made sure the vineyard is nourished. He is not expecting grapes from a vineyard that he did not care for. God is calling you to live a holy life because he has given you all the resources for holiness. He has given you his spirit that resides in you. He has given you his word. He has given you the church to fellowship with. He has given you brothers and sisters around you, a Christian community. He has given you books. Today he has given you podcasts. He's given you so much, yet you still rebel against them. What is wrong, brothers and sisters? What is wrong? We see first the Lord of the vineyard and his goodness. Secondly, in verse 2 to verse 8, we see the Lord of the vineyard and his grace. Having planted the vineyard and having done everything necessary for the vineyard to succeed, the Lord of the vineyard sent his servants to gather his portion of the prophets. It was common in those days for landowners to allow sharecroppers to farm the land for a percentage of the harvest. The, the, the owner would, would usually receive between one-third and one-half of the produce. The farmers got the rest. When this landowner sent his servants, they were treated cruelly by the farmers. The first one was beaten in verse 3 and sent away. The next one was stoned and wounded in the head in verse 4. The next one was killed in verse 5. After that, he sent a steady stream of servants 
to get his profits and they were all either beaten or murdered by the men trusted to care for their vineyard. After all the servants had been destroyed, the landowner sent his only son to them. He hoped they would receive the son as if he were the landowner himself. Verse 6. But just as they had destroyed all the servants that had been sent, they also destroyed the son. Verse 8. They believed that by killing the son, they could claim the vineyard for themselves. That was their reasoning in verse 7. Now this section of the parable is designed to speak to the religious leaders of Israel. They had been entrusted with the spiritual well-being of the nation. Time and time again, they led the nation astray. God in his infinite grace, his unending grace, sent them judges, sent them prophets, sent them other holy men of God to lead them back to the right path. Each time God sent a man of God, Israel refused to hear his message. Some were beaten, some were killed, but all were sent away empty-handed. Prophet after prophet calling out Israel for their sin whenever their message was never heeded. Prophets like Jeremiah, all their lives, not a single convert. Prophets like Isaiah, their ministry ended up in him being sawn in two. Yet God continued to send. He continued to send. Israel rejected prophet after prophet, culminating in John the Baptist. Yet God kept on sending them his man and his message. What grace. What grace. The same thing is true today. God has given men and women witness after witness in an effort to call people to himself. Consider the following things. God's witness is around us. Psalm 19 verse 1 to 4 talks about creation, declaring the glory of God. When the sun rises, it sings a beautiful hymn to the glory of the, of, of, of the Godhead. God's witness in the world around us leaves all people without excuse before him. God's witness is not only around us, but God's witness is within us. God has placed a conscience in us that tells us, in Romans chapter 2 verse 14, tells us that God has written his law on our hearts. Again, we are without excuse. But why does God still call the wayward to come to him? Or why does God still reach out to men in an effort to see them saved? He, he, he does it because he is a God of infinite love. A God of grace and of God of mercy. He does it because he desires the salvation of sinners more than he desires their judgment in hell. God does it so that you might have a chance to be saved from your sins. 
God does it so that your loved ones might have the opportunity to get in. I don't want you to miss this. The Jews thought that by killing the son, they could have the vineyard for themselves. Those religious men would have never admitted it, but they wanted to be their own God. That they wanted to run the show. That they wanted everything for themselves. They, they wanted wealth. They wanted glory and power. And they, 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 they did not want to share it with anyone, especially if that person was an uneducated carpenter without a pedigree from Nazareth. Remember the question I was asked, can anything good come out of was it? Was it Nazareth? <laughs> what? Can anything good come out of? <laughs> they never considered um Nazareth as having any pedigree, right? Now, the truth is, the only thing good came out of Nazareth. The only thing good came out of Nazareth. Even though it was looked down upon, the only thing good came out of Nazareth. This uneducated carpenter without a pedigree. That they could not stand the thoughts of acknowledging Jesus as Messiah and God. But what they failed to understand, and what so many people still fail to understand, is when you get the son, you get the vineyard and everything in it. When you get the son, you become a child of God. First John chapter 3 verse 1 to 3. John celebrates what God has done in our lives. Behold, what great love the Father has displayed upon us, has shown to us, has bestowed upon us, that we become children of God. And how does he, he, he exclaim when he thinks about that? He says, such we are. When you get the son, you become a joint heir with him. Romans chapter 8, verse 7, 17. When you get the son, you get all the blessings heaven has to offer. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. When you have Jesus, you have everything. You have abundant life here. You have abundant life here and you have eternal life in the hereafter. All these things that I've been talking about are the product of God's patience and grace. Brethren, I want you to understand that when we live a life that dishonors God and we continue on in this world, we wake up day after day having not bowed the knee to him, having not confessed him as Lord and Savior, and we continue to wake up, it is an act, a display of God's patience towards us. 
The Lord is long-suffering. But let me tell you, although the Lord is eternal, you are not. There will come a time when you close your eyes and say goodbye to this world. When you turn and go to the other side of the soil, the patience of the Lord would have run out. It doesn't matter the prayers that they pray for you when you are dead. It doesn't matter the confession. Uh, there are people that make confession for the dead. It doesn't matter the many candles they burn for you. It doesn't matter if they put your cold, dead body in water saying they baptize it. It doesn't matter. All would have been lost. But now is the right time, isn't it? Now, today. You don't need to go and fix things with with, with anyone. Go and fix things anywhere. Just come now. Just know the Lord now. There are so many people that know about the Lord, but do not know the Lord. We have so many people that confess to know the Lord, but they are not known by the Lord. These are people that one day will stand before the Lord, and the Lord will say, I never knew you. I wonder where you are this morning. Do you claim to know the Lord, but he does not know you? Do you know about the Lord, but you don't know him? Where are you this morning? God has displayed his patience and grace. If we got what we deserved, we would be dead and in hell today. But we are not dead and we are not in hell. We are alive. We are on the right side of the soil. We are still breathing God's air and enjoying God's blessings. We are partakers of God's grace today. What grace that he, he would even call us to come to him for salvation. What amazing grace that he would keep seeking, calling, loving, and drawing until we come to him. Praise God for his grace. The, the vilest offender that the worst sinner who truly believes at that moment of believing in Jesus, they are drawn to him. They are completely forgiven. There's a song, that song by Horatius Buffett that we love singing. It is well with my soul. There's a, there's a verse there where he, he says, my sin Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. Brothers and sisters, you don't have to bear the weight of your sin upon yourself. You don't have to bear it by yourself. Jesus Christ has went to the cross and he has died for sin and never to die again. He has died to purchase forgiveness for us and forgiveness is available for those who run to him. What grace. If you are not saved, run to him and call on Jesus. He is your only hope. If you are saved, 
Develop an attitude of gratitude and thank him for his grace in your life. So we saw three um, things. We saw the Lord of the vineyard and his goodness, the Lord of the vineyard and his grace, and lastly, the Lord of the vineyard and his glory. Goodness, grace, and glory. It's easy to remember it, isn't it? Those G's. G, G, G. Right? Not G at the back there, but G, 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 you know. <laughs> the, the, the Lord of the vineyard is left with no choice. The landowner had tried to work with the farmers time and time again, but they refused to listen to him. Now because they have rejected his slaves and killed the son, he will come in wrath and destroy those who have taken what is his. It is with the leaders of Israel they have rejected every attempt God made to call them to himself. They either abused or killed his messengers. Even John the Baptist, the servant of God, mostly recently sent to them, was rejected and beheaded. Now they have determined in their hearts to destroy the very Son of God. They were planning and plotting for him to be destroyed. Jesus had demonstrated the fact that he is God. He demonstrated an identity to the Jews on many, many occasions. His miracles, his message all cried out that he was the son of God. Yet, these men wanted the vineyard for themselves and they were willing to kill their Messiah to get what they wanted. And they did kill him. They pushed him to Calvary. And there they crucified the Son of God. They literally took the Son of God out of the city and murdered him there. Jesus was God's final messenger. When they rejected him, they were saying no to God for the very last time. There was nothing left for them but judgment. And that judgment came in a few short years. Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple was torn down. The Jews rejected God and his son and they paid a terrible price for their decision. Because they rejected the God of grace, they are forced to face the God of wrath. The same is true today, brothers and sisters. Jesus is God's last word to humanity. If we reject him, we have no hope for salvation. We have no more hope for salvation. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3. Those sobering words from the right of Hebrews, he says in verse 3, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested by those who heard. How shall we escape? How shall we escape? Here's what you need to know. One day, it might not be today, we, 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 uh, we become so assured that when we wake up for another day, then we are safe. One day, it might not be today, you will stand before Jesus Christ. You will either face him as savior or you will face him as judge. 
Romans chapter 11 verse 22. It's an interesting verse. It talks about, it says, Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. On the one hand, God is good to those who come to him in faith. He forgives them. He saves them. And he gives them everlasting life in heaven. On the other hand, those who reject him will face him in judgment. You will face the Lamb of God, or you will face the Lion of Judah. The choice is yours. You see, the greatest sin that a person can commit is not the sins that we see today. They are sins, yes. But the greatest sin a person can commit is to enjoy all the good things God gives to presume on his grace and then reject his son. (laughs) Do you know that one of the qualities, the two qualities that are appreciated about God by the world, even those who reject him, are his love and his goodness. Haven't you heard that? People say, God loves us all. You hear that, right? We are his people. And they say, God is good. Especially when I was growing up, uh, our neighbors, you know, when we, we, when, when, when our parents wake up in the morning, you hear them greeting each other, um, in the morning. And as they greet each other, a neighbor who does not even know God would say, um, they would greet and then they would respond and they would say, Ritsuhile, kamohawa mudim, mudimu ulukile. For those who do not know, I'll give you subtitles. It's that we woke up by the grace of God. God is good. And they are right. God is good. But they have a half-truth about the goodness of God. You see, God is good, yes. And, and God will display his goodness. But he's also a good judge. And a good judge will not uh, overlook justice. When, when a thief, a, 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 a criminal, a murderer stands before a good judge, a good judge will not be bribed. A good judge will make sure that they execute judgment as needful as possible. You will not escape a good judge. God is good, yes. He makes the sun shine for the sinner and, and the righteous. He makes the rain. He gives food to all. But God is still a good judge. And when we stand before a good judge, we won't have anything to bribe him with. God is good, yes. But one day you will stand before this good God. Either you will stand before the Lamb of God, or you will stand before the Lion. Whether you know it or not, you, when you reject God, you are guilty. It was you and your sins that put Jesus on the cross. We are all guilty of rejecting and killing the Son of God. We will either repent of our sins and be saved, or we will face the Lord in judgment one day. God will be glorified either way. I want God to be glorified with me entering heaven, singing the songs of the redeemed. I want him to be glorified in that way.
But if I reject him and he throws me in hell, he is still glorified. In verse 11, 10 and 11, Jesus changes the imagery in Mark chapter 12. He stops talking about a vineyard and he starts talking about a building. He quotes Psalm 118 verse 22 to make his point that the key of a good foundation is a perfectly straight cornerstone. That stone, if straight, would ensure that the building would be plump and square. If the stone was not right, the building would not turn out right. The, the, the Jewish leaders looked at Jesus and decided that he was not a fit cornerstone. In their eyes, he did not have the right pedigree, the right education, or the right credentials. Jesus simply did not meet their expectations. He did not fit their mold. So they rejected him out of their hand and were willing participants in his death. Why did they kill him? They hated him because his holiness and his words exposed their sins. They were left with no choice but to either repent or retaliate. They chose to retaliate and they condemn Jesus to death. Jesus tells them that the very stone they rejected has become the head of the corner. God ignored their assessment of Jesus and set him as the cornerstone upon which he would build his church. They, they, they thought they were getting rid of the problem when they put Jesus to death. In truth, they were signing their own death warrants. God would get glory through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Matthew recorded this parable, he adds this verse in Matthew 21 verse 44. Whoever shall fall on the stone shall be broken, but whoever it shall fall on, it will grind him to powder. That's what everything comes down to. Either you will fall on Jesus and be broken in conviction, repentance, and salvation, or he will fall on you and crush you to powder. Again, the choice is yours. When Jesus finished the parable, the Jews wanted to arrest him and deal with him. But they were afraid to do anything because the people respected Jesus as a great rabbi. However, the, the Jewish leaders hated him and wanted him dead. They confirmed in their rejection of Jesus and God was confirmed in his judgment of them. They made their choice and they would have to live with the consequences. The same is true in our lives. It is clear to see the goodness of God. It is all around us. Every day God proves his love and his goodness through the precious gifts he gives to us. His goodness should be enough to cause us to come to him. It should be enough. It should be enough. It is also clear to see the grace of God in our lives. He has given you opportunity after opportunity to repent and to come to Jesus. He has kept you out of hell for another day. That should make you want to come to Jesus and be saved. And think about the fact that one day God will get the glory from where you spend eternity. He will be glorified when you join him in heaven. Or he will be glorified when you confirm his righteousness and your sinfulness. When you go to hell. Uh, I once told a story, I'll tell it again, of a father who kept sharing the gospel with his son, and the son kept rejecting it. And one day the father was tired of sharing the gospel. He, he sat down with his son and said, Son, I love you. You know that I would give my life for you. One day we will stand before God. I will stand on the sight of God because of Jesus Christ. And you will stand on the other side because you are rejecting him.
And God will declare his judgment on you. And, bec- and, and though I love you, I will say amen without any reservations. One day, we will stand before God. Which side will you be standing on? Today, the choice is yours. God is offering you a chance to be saved. He's offering you a chance to have all your, a chance to have all your sins forgiven. He's offering you an opportunity to avoid hell and make heaven your eternal home. If He is calling you, please come to Him today and be saved. If you want to thank Him for His goodness and His grace, this would be a good time to do that. We will be singing together. Guide me, O great Jehovah. Right? (laughs) And as we think about that song, may God guide us to honor him for his goodness, for his grace, and his glory. And may God guide you to have your eyes open to see the reality of who he is. Amen.